You're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knee replacement. Here I'll talk to you about common knee complaints and other orthopedic issues. We'll cover other important health-related topics, all of which are meant to helpfully answer some of your questions and help improve the quality of your life. Thanks for listening, and on with the next episode. Hello, and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen, and you're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. Well, a lot has happened uh, in the past uh, couple weeks, um, and uh, the world's been busy, I've been busy, and it's probably been one of the darkest times I think many of us will ever see in our lifetime um, with this resurgence and additional wave of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. So, you know, the big discussion lately has been all about vaccines, you know, which vaccine, do you get the vaccine, what about vaccines, and what I'm going to try to do today is um, just give you a brief history overview of vaccines and try to do my best um, to try to break down, you know, what an mRNA vaccine is and what actual the difference between RNA and DNA is, and then also some of the differences um, between the vaccines. I personally um, just did receive the vaccine um, two days ago on Friday, and and to be honest with you, a couple months ago, if you had asked me. Uh, numbers were decreasing. The vaccines, you know, had been um, tested and then were coming towards approval. And I had said, you know, I'll, I'll wait and see. Um, but with the worsening numbers um, that we have here locally in California, um, I have call coming up. Um, in my opinion, the risks um, and any risks that could be associated as far as, you know, side effects, uh, short term or long term um, with the vaccine um, definitely were outweighed by the high risks of the coronavirus and getting sick, um, either death, um, although those numbers are low, the numbers are higher here than in other countries, and also the, a lot of the long term side effects that we're seeing in patients that even recover um, from coronavirus. So, you know, historically, the United States created the vaccine agency in 1813, 1813. Um, and there were a lot of very prominent um, scientists and physicians, you know, over the years that really helped create um, vaccines sort of as we know it today. Um, Jenner, back in the 17 to 1800s, um, found that cowpox um, could actually protect people from smallpox. Um, and Louis Vastor, um, who was really paramount in coming up with the rabies vaccine. Um, there were the, the first um, law passed in our country um, in the 1850s in Massachusetts uh, requiring vaccinations for school children, uh, and then Loeffler with uh, diphtheria. You know, and then the world in the U.S. was really hit with polio epidemics. This was back in the uh, 1890s where the first epidemic hit Vermont and 18 people died and 132 people were permanently paralyzed um, from polio. You know, and then jump forward to the thing that a lot of people are more familiar with now, approximately 100 years ago, the Spanish flu pandemic, you know, which killed millions of people um, across the world. And, you know, they tried very, you know, diligently to make a vaccine um, at that time, but it wouldn't be later until the 1930s um, when they were able to develop an actual vaccine for that influenza A strain. Um, so money and time has gone into this. Um, it was actually entertainer um, Eddie Cantor on the radio back in 1938 um, that actually recommended people send in money. And it was 2.6 million people 
um, actually mailed in dimes to the president of the United States um, in an attempt to raise money to fight um, and develop a cure for polio. And then it was 1945 when the first influenza vaccine came out. This was approved for military use. It wasn't until the next year, 1946, um, when it was approved for uh, civilian use. You know, and then everyone's you know very familiar with Jonas Salk and the polio vaccine um, that came out. You know, he initially started by vaccinating himself and his family. You know, just to show that this was safe. Um, there was a little bit of a pushback. So there are some, you know, stories and histories of some, you know, negative problems that occurred in the idea of vaccination. So, you know, in 1955, polio vaccinations were actually suspended. And this was six different manufacturers were making vaccines. And there were approximately um, a dozen deaths and hundreds of patients were paralyzed. But it was felt that they didn't actually follow Jonas Salk's instructions on how to accurately kill the virus. So, you know, they were inoculating people with live virus. Um, the, ma- the, the measles vaccine um, came out um, in the MMR, which, you know, most people are familiar with, measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, which was produced by Merck. Um, this was first licensed in 1971. Um, and then in 1980, there was a declaration that smallpox had been eradicated. Um, 1994, um, Pan America declaration that polio had been eradicated from the Americas. So, I mean, these are huge, huge achievements in, in the health of our world and the health of our country and, you know, protecting citizens. Um, but I think, you know, the big thing where, um, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, vaccines always stir the pot, um, and, and bring up a lot of, you know, issues with certain people depending on their feelings, but, you know, just historically where a lot of the, the stories and negative connotations about vaccines came out from, there was a study um, back in 1998. Um, this was published by Wakefield um, and 12 total authors. Uh, this was in The Lancet. And what they found was the MMR vaccine actually could lead to autism. Uh, and this is where a lot of people um, got concerned about vaccines being bad. Now, it was found out sometime later that a number of the subjects that were recruited for that study were actually recruited from a lawyer who had a lawsuit against a number of vaccine manufacturers. And, you know, following the exposure of all this information and data, 10 of the 12 authors retracted the data. The Lancet retracted the paper. And this Wakefield was banned from practicing medicine. Um, So, you know, that that story still holds true, this feeling that vaccines cause autism, but it was really proven that that was falsified information, false data, not very accurate. Um, you know, and then the HPV vaccine, which has been talked about more um, commonly in the past decade or so, that came out 2006. Um, so, you know, here we are, and, you know, a lot of the vaccines, you know, were ways of using the, the prior um the prior organism and, and developing, you know, attenuated strain to produce some sort of, you know, immunity in the host, um, you know, but now there's this new thing, this mRNA, you know, and this is the thing that really, I think, scares, you know, a lot of people, they hear about RNA, and they think in DNA, and, you know, how it's going to change my body and mutate. Um, so I'm going to do my best. Um, of trying to explain, you know, DNA, RNA in a very simplistic manner, um, but just so you have sort of an idea of what happened. So, you know, DNA, obviously, you know, that's that's the makeup of us, of, of basically every living organism. So we have, as humans, we have 23 pairs 
of chromosomes. Um, so there's 46 total chromosomes. And in that is all of the important genetic makeup that makes us, for the most part, you know, who we are, what we look like, and things like that. So there's over 21,000, you know, genes. And when we talk about DNA, it's this, you know, double helix model. Um, and there's opposite these pairs. So, you know, A always combines with T, C always with G. So if you remember that from science, you have this kind of twisting and opposite, you know, every adenine is a thymine and opposite every cytosine is a guanine. But it's the kind of organization combination and the sequence of those that make up particular genes. And all of this is coded in all of these different strands of the, um, the DNA molecules. Now, these are all within the nucleus, you know, so we get half from our mom, half from our dad. They're all in the nucleus. They make us sort of who we are. Um, now, to get that out, you know, what do you do with that information? So what happens is there's two things. We have um, transcription and translation. So in the nucleus, you know, what happens is this transcription occurs where um, a part of the DNA molecule segment um, gets translated um, and that translation goes on to RNA. Um, and that then has basically the um, mirror image of that DNA strand. Now, the only major difference um, in the DNA and the RNA is that you also have your cytosine and guanine, and you also have your um, adenine. But instead of thymine, you have uracil. So that's the only difference when you're looking at these letters and you start to see sometimes on these diagrams, you'll see, you know, ATCG or AUCG is that opposite an adenine in RNA is a uracil, where opposite an adenine in DNA is thymine. Um, but all of these things code for things, and these are things that we need. So you know, once that messenger RNA can get transcribed from the DNA, it can leave and then once it leaves and it goes into the cytoplasm, you know, then we have to have something what we call trans, um, translation. So you had your transcription inside, translation outside. So what happens is you need this tRNA. So it's a transcription RNA. And if you, if you remember back, actually, the T, you know, it forms this kind of T shape. So the way it wraps up, it forms this T shape. Um, and it finds this little patch of genetic information. So it's not a whole chromosome. It's not all your DNA. It's just a little portion of the DNA. And then it binds to this mRNA. And then it translates um, each three base triplet. So for every of those letters that we're talking about, that's a base. And then every three bases is a triplet it can actually then make an amino acid. So, you know, you hear about bodybuilders and amino acids and you hear about foods that are rich in amino acids, but, you know, those amino acids um, are what then build these protein molecules. So what'll happen is that for every three bases, um, you form an amino acid. And this is a uh, this occurs um, with ribosomes. So it's the ribosome, actually, when you, if you remember all these little parts from, you know, science class, but the ribosome moves along this messenger RNA, um, basically attaches to it and as it goes across, and then it translates these little pieces of this genetic information um, into a protein. And, you know, it's believed that then that protein will do stuff in our body. You know, in this case, um, that protein is going to help us not kill off the infection, but that's a big misconception is a lot of these vaccines don't necessarily make you immune, 
But if you get the vaccine, it allows your body to develop these antibodies. So when you are exposed, your risk of death is less, or your, even your risk of symptoms is less. So many people may just have an asymptomatic, essentially, infection. Your body already has the antibodies, and it fights this off. Um, so that's sort of the goal. So this messenger RNA does not go into the nucleus. This is basically just a way of getting that messenger RNA, which your body would typically make from your DNA to produce proteins for your body, and it's introducing this messenger RNA um, to allow your body to make this protein um, so that when or if you then get exposed to the coronavirus, that your body already has this ability to then fight this virus off and either prevent you from dying or from, or prevent you from getting very, very ill. You know, because every year, you know, people that get the flu vaccine, again, it doesn't make you immune you know, I get the flu vaccine every year, and I've had the flu a couple of times. But the idea there is that if you have a vaccine, that the severity of your symptoms is going to be a lot less. Um, so that's really the goal. And I think more importantly now, as we're seeing this additional surge, um, that the numbers everywhere in the world are just increasing astronomically. And, you know, our hospitals are taxed. Um, you know, there's the discussions of you know, care being rationed. I mean, you know, if you have, you know, a trauma victim, you know, if you have a heart attack, if you have a stroke, I mean, the, the, the reality is there's hospitals that don't have availability to take care of you. So you may have to be taken to a further hospital or maybe, you know, the best hospital is full and, you know, you have to go to a hospital that's not as technically skilled. Or maybe, you know, the, the equipment that you might need, a ventilator or other stuff is not available because it's already being used on patients, you know, that are sicker. And that's the, the scary but unfortunate reality of the world that we're living in right now you know, today, um, that, you know, many, many places in the world, hospitals have stopped elective surgery because just don't have hospital beds, you know, don't have nursing staff, you know, don't have physicians, you know, and then as physicians are getting sicker and sicker because they're treating these patients, you know, this vaccine is that first kind of glimmer of hope, um, I think, in healthcare in the past nine months where, you know, you've heard a lot of elation in healthcare workers getting the vaccine um, because they think this is the first chance that we might be able to protect those healthcare workers that have been really at risk on the front lines with limited PPE um, and having to work day in and day after, um, you know, with long, long shifts and being exposed to all these patients. And this may, you know, potentially offer them that that decreased risk of, you know, getting sick, getting very ill, and potentially dying. Because we've had, you know, one death is too many. You know, we've had what, over 300,000 deaths in the U.S. And, you know, a number of healthcare workers that have died just doing their job, you know, taking care of people. Um, and, you know, any any one death is one death too many. Um, so now we have these two, you know, vaccines. And, you know, a lot of people have asked, you know, well, well, which one are you getting? And, and what's the best? And, you know, things like that. And I think Dr. Fauci, you know, said the best. He'll get the vaccine that's available to him at the time because he believes in the science. Um, for me, um, I had the availability of getting the Pfizer vaccine. Again, that was available. And to be honest with you, I think the Pfizer vaccine is going to be the vaccine that's going to be distributed to most institutions, healthcare workers, for a number of reasons, you know, and the Moderna vaccine and possibly other vaccines that may come out, you know, may go out to more of the public. Um, so similarities, differences. So the Pfizer and uh, the biotech, um, you know, vaccine that came out, this was approved for use um, December 11th, 2020. The Moderna, um, just slightly after December 18th, you know, so just one after the other. Um, Pfizer's vaccine um, was um, recommended for patients over the age of 16. Moderna's for over 18. 
And then when you look at the prevention of symptomatic infection, the studies that they presented, Pfizer's, was 95% um, effective in preventing symptomatic infection. Uh, Moderna's 94.1. But I mean, still, you're getting an A if you're grading this. I mean, this is you know excellent news that it's going to be that good at preventing the risk of a symptomatic infection. So when does when does this you know essential protective immunity begin? So Pfizer's data shows that this starts about seven days after the second shot, and they recommend that the second shot be given at 21 days. Whereas Moderna's vaccine, what they found was that the um, their protective immunity begins around 14 days after the second shot, and they recommend their second shot 28 days after the first shot. Now, dosing-wise, uh, there's 30 micrograms uh, per dose in the Pfizer and 100 micrograms per dose in the Moderna. Um, and, you know, we're not necessarily sure, you know, is, is more better or less or better, you know, so that's going to be things that are going to come out. But, you know, I think the, the big issue, um, which is why I think Pfizer is going to be distributed more to healthcare workers, um, and those large institutions is the next two big factors. Um, so storage. So the Pfizer needs to be stored at negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit you know, where Moderna's only needs to be stored at negative four degrees Fahrenheit, which, you know, any normal refrigerator freezer, you know, can tolerate that, but you need specialized freezers to store the Pfizer vaccine. Um, once it's brought out, the thought has to be used within five days and their minimum order from what I was told, um, is close to a thousand doses. I think it was 975 doses was their minimum order and you can get five doses per vial. But the really good news is there's been a lot of reports of people getting an extra dose or two, um, out of each vial. Um, so that just means there's even more, um, doses available. Whereas with the Moderna vaccine, um, you can store it for 30 days in the fridge, um, within 12 hours at room temperature, it needs to be administered. You can have a minimum order of 100 doses, and you get 10 doses per vial. So, you know, if you're a doctor's office, it's going to be a lot more um, uh, easy for you to then store that and buy a smaller sample and then distribute it to your patients, you know, where, you know, these hospitals that have to inoculate hundreds, if not thousands of healthcare workers in a short span of time, they can store this and use that Pfizer vaccine um, quite quickly. So, you know, the the concerns of, you know, anaphylaxis, you know, those, those numbers have been quite low. So when you look at percentages, I mean, you're talking less than 1%. Um, some of that was felt to be due to one of the ingredients. Um, and there's been some other reports, but again, this is almost like another, you know, study phase in the sense that healthcare workers, you know, really getting this in large numbers. And we're going to be able to see, you know, what sort of risks and side effects still, no one's a hundred percent sure. So these weren't tested in pregnant or soon to be pregnant females or females that are lactating. There have been a number of healthcare workers, you know, that were pregnant or lactating that have chosen to get the vaccine. So it would be really in, uh, important to follow them and see if there's any untoward side effects. Um, but again, that's the next sort of, you know, phase of the study. And then the hopes are that, you know, as these, um, as these vaccines get out to more and more people and we develop, um, you know, more of an immunity in the population and more control of the virus that, you know, the hopes would be within a year or so that things start to go back to normal. Um, you know, the side effects that people talk about most commonly, you know, these are just the low-grade temperature, soreness, fever, malaise. I mean, this is your body basically being turned on to create this immunologic response. Um, me personally, um, the only thing I had... 12, 24 hours later, you know, my arm was quite sore. Um, so 
Aside from that, I didn't have any other constitutional symptoms. Um, this was the first shot, um, and you know things went off seamlessly. So I will keep an eye on those, and um, you know probably get back to this topic um, in the near future because I know this is a hot topic, and lots of people, friends, family, patients have been asking lots of questions. Um, so I'm trying to kind of put all this in one little spot, so you know people can access this and get a little history um, on disease and vaccines. Um, and more of an understanding, and again, a very brief understanding, you know, on DNA um, to um, transcription to mRNA to translation through a ribosome to a protein, which produces an antibody that can, you know, prevent this severe disease from breaking out in your body should you or when you become exposed to coronavirus. Um, and then also the similarities and differences between both the current uh, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines uh, that are available. Um, so in the meantime, like I always say, stay safe, but definitely at this point in time, not only stay safe, continue your social distancing, continue to wear a mask, continue to, you know, um, wash your hands, you know, limit travel. And uh, if you do, you know, start to come down with symptoms, you know, isolate yourself from others, you know, talk to your physician, talk to your provider, you know, get tested. Um, and, you know, we will get through this, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, um, we're hoping is there with this vaccine. And then hopefully the numbers at some point soon peak and then start to drop off. And then, um, hopefully the worst, uh, is soon behind us. But unfortunately, as of today, the worst is not over yet. So until next time, I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. Thanks for listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. I'm your host, Adam Rosen, and until next time, stay safe.